it's people from our community playing for our community. That, that's ultimately what the goal will be. When you play DeKalb County United, everybody is from DeKalb County. Is that a possibility? Currently, no, <laughs> but maybe down the road. And then if every community around us, if every county around us had their own teams, Welcome back to Build It. John Hall is here as ever. Hi, John. Hello, Nick. Hi, John. And this week we are going in-house with our very own head coach, Coach Mike Gassan. Hi, Mike. Hey, Nick. Coach, you've been with us since day one, give or take, right? Correct. Yeah, lovely. I mean, not for, not since the board meetings, but you, know, you were the first coach we've ever had and so far the only coach we've ever had, and therefore, by definition, the best coach we've ever had. Um, <laughs> do you want to tell us a little bit, first off, before we dig too deep into your soccer history and how you ended up even applying for John's position? Um... Yeah, I don't know how far we want to go back here, but just just normal. I grew up, you know, playing rec soccer, like like most people. I would imagine I got into soccer in America. I went to in Streamit, Illinois, and went out of the high school and part of some clubs. Probably the most influential like moment of my life, soccer wise, that I think hooked me was I was asked to go with like a state select team to Europe my freshman year at my going heading into my sophomore summer. Um, and I went to what England, Belgium, Hound, and Germany for a while, and we did a little tour and played a bunch of tournaments and played some friendlies against some some European teams, and uh, I got to watch a lot of games there. We got the we got to go to games, um, and it just it's a different, it's a it's a lot different than how soccer is in the United States. So that's probably what got me hooked to the game. And then I got into coaching actually when I was in high school to help pay for my, uh, to play for the, I was playing for a halfway decent club in high school, my junior, senior year. And to pay for that, I, I worked concession stands. I worked parking lots for a semi-pro team at that time that was there. Um, and uh, I coached them like a Mavericks team in Palatine, Illinois uh, with little kids. And I, I did more technical camps and, and, coached some games and supervised the games I would say and made subs and that's what really got me into it I got my licensing just out of high school my, my D license and continued to coach into college and still played but but was also coaching believe it or not I ended up coaching college while in college I don't even know how that's possible coached at Kishwaukee which is near into Kelb County um, coached at a bunch of local clubs like Campton and some of the ones around the area and then uh, after that, got my, my teaching degree, got into teaching, coached in high school, coached club as well, continued to coach club, uh, coached different age levels. I've coached every age level, I think from you, what, you six to adults and everything in between. And uh, yeah, just the game's always kind of stuck with me and I, I love it to death. It's, it's one of my, my passions in life. So. Just as well with all that experience. Who, who's your team, if you have one? Oh, DKCU, of course. Well, that's the right Thank answer. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. If you is there one team you would switch the TV on for? Uh, U.S. national team, without a doubt. Oh, that's very diplomatic, isn't it? All right, and also <laughs> wrong, but yeah. Okay, hey, hey. Um, so, how did you find out about um, DeKalb County? Where did you see the job advert, or were you hunt, headhunted by John, or what? I don't remember. I remember John. Something came up with John, and, and I've known John since I've been in the DeKalb area. Just. I used to be a supervisor at the park district and in indoor leagues. And, and I remember meeting John and knowing John and 
John mentioned something about starting the semi-pro team. So I, I reached out to him. I can't remember. I think it was through email saying I'd like to be involved somehow. And, uh, you know, I was just hoping to get on as like assistant coach, you know, at that point I had a lot going on in my life. Um, and then he reached back out and said, yeah, I'll let you know when we get involved with like coaching and stuff. And I said, okay, you know, and then eventually they started the whole process of interviewing and all that. And, um, I it's, it's a little while ago, so I'm having a hard time remembering, but something came about and I was interviewing and, uh, we you ended up in a job that you didn't want. Okay. Yeah, all of a sudden, sudden I was, uh, interviewing for the head coaching job, which I didn't <laughs> know I was going to be interviewing for that until the very end there. And, and Hey, no, 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 coach. I got to stop you right there. Listen, <laughs> you absolutely told me you would love to be an assistant coach. Yep. All I heard was coach. We did interview a bunch of people. Uh, had a, well, I had a lot of conversations, only interviewed a few. And, and if you wanted to be an assistant coach, you interviewed completely wrong. And I'll tell you why you had already talked at that. We were going to join the UPSL. You'd already talked to the league. You'd already talked to other coaches in the league. You knew every league rule there was. You knew all the challenges of, of what we were getting into with the UPSL. You, you knew the league better than I did. And then you try to present yourself like, oh, I just wanted to be the assistant coach. I call malarkey on it. I think you wanted to be the gaffer from the very beginning. And I'm calling you out right now. So that's it. That sounds like a tryhard to me. Well, def def definitely by the time we got to the interviews, I, I had convinced my wife into allowing me into this because of the – it was actually <laughs> – I didn't know what was going to be all encompassing. Like, was this seven days a week, six days a week, five days a week? When I learned what the schedule was <clears throat> and how the training was and how the games were, and I explained it to my beautiful wife, she said, that's fine. Go ahead and we'll, we'll do this for we'll, – we'll give it a shot and we'll see if you can get the job. So I gave 100% to those interviews, and uh, I did my homework, and, and I continue to do my homework because when I do commit to it, anything, I usually give 100%. So – well, you, even, you were, even this podcast. you were, yeah, no, but you were, you honestly, we've talked about this. You were like, you came across like, just like you're saying, I got it. I know what I'm getting into and I can do it. And it, um, with your background, with, with uh, some college experience, you'd been, you'd run the, at the high school program, you know, you'd been a varsity coach on both the girls and boys side, I think. I mean, I know the boys and, you did the, I mean, so you ran a program as well. So it wasn't like you've just stood on the sideline and coached. You actually understood like there's, there's development, there's big picture to it. There's, and you've been responsible for not at, at the head of a high school program. You also are responsible for those teams below you and those coaches below you. So you just, to, to be cliche, you checked all the boxes and, um, so it, it was, it's, it's been wonderful. I think it's been, a, it's been a good fit, I think, for everybody. And, and you've done everything you said you were going to do at that reluctant uh, interview. So thank you. <laughs> okay, so, Coach, you alluded to um, a training schedule that was semi-already in place. How involved are you in the – I want to say the playing side, but I want to get on to the actual playing side, but that sort of behind-the-scenes playing side. Like, is it is it – driven by you or are you just accepting of a program or what training, I guess is what I'm talking about. It's uh, I'll tell you what, it's evolved a lot over the last three years here. Um, but mainly the training is, is pretty, we keep, I try to keep it as simple as possible, especially because I don't want to get in too, too much trouble with my wife, but we do two trainings a week. 
uh, and during the week. <clears throat> and typically we have a game during the weekend. Sometimes we might have two games during the weekend. Um, it's not as uh, it's actually a lot less um, time consuming. And now that I have a daughter, that was a major factor as we were looking at having kids and, and uh, this is feasible to what we're doing with our life. And, and during the spring and summer, late spring, early summer, it works out perfect because I'm, I'm done with my teaching job uh, around that time. So, so it all works out for me personally. And that's why it fit for, for my family. Um, but yeah, just mainly two trainings. Usually we're going two to three hours a day for training. And then we're, you know, got some away games where we used to travel quite far. It sounds like we hopefully be a little more local nowadays. And then, uh, you know, half of them are home games as well. So, so that the training that you're doing, if you've come, if you're coming from a high school, uh, a youth, a youth soccer thing, what changes do you have to implement from that sort of training schedule to a, I want to, an adult training schedule? What, what are the boys capable of now that they're not capable of? You know, so we're definitely, yeah, we're definitely getting to a point to where the level of tactical progression is much higher than where my high school is because usually with the high school, you're kind of resetting, you know, they're, they're hitting a limit and then you're reteaching a lot of things because you're bringing in new players all the time that are, you know, and, and players are leaving and just the way high, you know, that whole scene works is, is a lot different. This is more like when I coach college where most of them have a lot of the, the, the fundamentals are usually out of the way. Um, the tactical awareness it's, it's you're building every year. And we're, we're, we, you know, this last season, if we would have had the opportunity to play, I finally would have had a team that majority of the guys will play for me for two years. So our f- philosophy on defending and attacking, not to say it's going to be the same, but I could start now moving and in, in adding or layering new strategies to what we already have and then only have to coach in a couple players, um, new players or a handful of new players into that, that, that strategy. So we were finally getting into where we could get really deep into our tactics. And uh, I, I've been excited, uh, you know, to get to that point. And hopefully, uh, hopefully this coming spring slash summer, we can really dive into that a little bit more. But that's what makes it a little different. I might have a guy that could play for us and play for our organization for maybe five, six, seven years, maybe more, who knows. But that helps to have a player around that long and players in that longevity. The dream is to have them for that long, for sure, isn't it? Um, and let's talk about players. Then, how do what's the recruitment process? <sighs> recruitment process. So we, <clears throat> well, year one there wasn't much recruitment process at all because I was brought on right before tryouts. So year one tryouts were the main recruitment process, and probably since then that's been our main pool that we take from. Seems like so. So I so year two heading into year two, I really went to. A lot, <laughs> a lot of college soccer games, a lot of practices, shook coaches' hands, tapped players on the shoulder, and tried to get players out, right? It was great, you know, made some people excited. And, and we got, we had a handful come out, right? So maybe out of 200, 250 players, somewhere in there that I asked to come out, gave them my business card, maybe 20 came out, and I ended up keeping five of them. And it was a lot of time for five players. <laughs> and even then only maybe three of those guys were starters. So uh, 
I then went into year three, which would have been the season we were just going to play. And I started looking more at adults that were in Rockford or Aurora or Hoffman Estates or in DeKalb, um, Odium in, in uh, Villa Park. Went to those facilities and watched their men's league for a night. You know what I mean? And then started asking a couple players. I had done this before, the year before as well. Um, and I started asking them. And once again, I think I asked less. I think I asked like maybe maybe 35, 40 guys. So a lot less than what I did the first time. Um, and out of those 30, 40, again, I, I think we only had maybe 10 guys try out and I kept maybe five of them. So, um, cause once again, I don't know how to measure up to our guys at that moment. I'm just, I see something and, and it's worth inviting, you know? So that was my next kind of big recruiting uh, tool. And once again, majority of guys we're taking are either from the tryout. And what I'm learning is even when you invite people, it doesn't necessarily fit them or their lifestyle or what they're looking for. So the recruiting process ends up being more, we want people, and this is the truth, you want people that want to play for you, that want to be part of this. And then it's easier to like work with those players. Because a lot of times the guys you bring in, they weren't coming to you, you were coming to them. <laughs> so they don't end up working out sometimes. They, they quit two, three weeks in the season if they're not starting. And, and there's, there's issues that go into that whole recruiting process. But um, that's mainly the ways I did. I went college at first, then I went more with the adult indoor leagues at locally. Um, and then heading into this year, we, don't, we didn't need many. So I'm not planning on recruiting too much. And nowadays, I, when I, I, it's more people who know people or you know, people that are already involved with the club, whether it be players or or former players, they send players our way and I'll just wait for the tryouts. And if I need to fill players, I'll fill players, but we're, we're, we're pretty solid. I don't plan on changing the roster too much. Maybe, maybe a handful of players will take in every single year at this point moving forward. I imagine it's going to be that way unless the coach next coach down the road here wants to wipe the slate, but um, that's how I see it. Well, I think that's, I think that's something that, that we've talked about a lot on our, um, on our phone calls over the last few years is the, evaluation of players and trying to figure out um, who's who's in it for the right reasons you know there's talent obviously there's talent right but if you're not a good fit for the team chemistry in any sport in any company in any group of people if you're not if you're not a team player it might not be worth having you you know like we all gotta we all gotta understand that that this particular club and this project is you know, I, I continue to echo to everybody. It's bigger than me. It's bigger than you. It's bigger than Nick. It, it can be so much more than just that little activity on the field. So the players need to have an understanding that, you know, they're getting a great opportunity. They're getting great training from you throughout the week. Uh, you're working on their fitness. You're developing their tactical awareness. A um, little bit of technical work, obviously, because that comes with it. But at the end of the day, it's a group of players that have to come together around something, right? They have to, they have to find that something that drives them as a group. And I think that's something we're still working through. I think we've got um, just, I, I don't, I don't do anything with your team. It's your team. The guys on the guys are yours, but you, you see little pockets and little groups of guys. And then now they're now year two, three, four, wherever we are in that, you know, time frame, they're starting to intermix a little bit and you're starting to see that 
now they're, hey, you're coming back. Hey, man, how was your winter? How was this? How was that? And I think you're starting to see that camaraderie. Um, and so certainly losing 2020 didn't help anybody, uh, but at least it affected all clubs the same. But do you think, I mean, you think that's part of it as well is just when you evaluate, like you said, there's, there's time commitments, uh, there's location. Yeah, guys driving an hour and a half to come train and play for us. And, and I certainly appreciate it, but that's not the right fit for everybody, right? So, I mean, some of those things go into your evaluation. Like, is this, is this guy actually going to be able to stick it out for four months? Yeah, I mean, evaluation, when you look at it from the perspective of who's in our team already, <clears throat> I mean, as a coaching staff, we're always looking at our players, reevaluating the players. When they come in the next year, I mean, we honestly, we have our guys come to a tryout. They're, they're there. They're usually going to make be on the team for the most part. But even then, it's a tryout for them to see if they still want to play. And then we bring in another group to compete against them so they can measure where they're going to fall. You know what I mean? But we then – and I, I always try to do it where, <clears throat> especially with player evaluation, I want other eyes on it. So typically during tryouts, I have other coaches that I respect from the community, from high school level, college level, all different levels coming out to evaluate our players and, the, and new incoming trial, trialists. And they give me their feedback, and I have my own opinion, of course, but I get their feedback. Then from that, we cut it down to 30, 35, 40 max for a while there. Um, and we take them in the April, and then we continue to evaluate during preseason. And then we usually, if guys start reading the writing on the wall and they either remove themselves or I remove them, if I don't see, if there's any, any problems, once again, a lot of it comes down to commitment, <clears throat> right? You got to be at the trainings in order to play. Right. We have, we have our kind of our, our, our rules. You know what I mean? So we weed people out that way and then who fits our culture. Right. And who, who, who sees what's the purpose. Cause understand we have players that are, we've had 17 year olds, 18 year olds on the team, right. They're playing now overseas stuff, but we've had young players that it's more for their development. So they might not play a lot. And now that we have the 23s, that's changed it a lot, but we had players that, they might not play that first year or two, you know, they're just there for co to, to better prepare them for their college seasons. Now at the U 23s, that's different, but we still have young players and younger players that it's for their development. There's other players that they, you know, are there and, and they're part of this because they want to go on to play pro, you know, and we're working on that whole process, right. And trying to build connections, partnerships and relationships with higher level teams to give them opportunities. Then we have your, your players that, they're there and they're not looking to go pro. This is their community club. They're still good enough to play. They want to be part of the experience. Usually those guys are the guys that carry the culture in the program and educate and help grow the younger players. And there's value in, all, in every single aspect of those players and how that whole process goes to create what I would consider to be the the culture of the program. It's really the players that create the culture because the cultures change every year, but I haven't. It's the players that change the culture. So, And it's funny to see the, the group mesh, right? We've had 17 to 35. We got guys with married with a bunch of kids and we've got guys that are just getting out of high school and we're taking a very diverse group of, of playing experiences and, you know, positions in life you know, full-time jobs, you know, part-time jobs, going to college. And somehow you have to, uh, 
it, it, it's cool to see how you try to, at the end of the day, you're all, you're all a player here and you all got to earn your spot and you just have to kind of mush it all together. And, and I don't think that's any different for any other team, but I think it's, I think from the outside, again, watching you through your first couple of seasons, I think you, every time we talk, you learn something new about, I'm going to try this with the team. I'm going to try this with the group and, and continue to learn and evolve as a coach as well. Yeah. Every year has been a learning experience for myself. I'm sure the players of the board, every year, especially early on here has been, it changed dramatically. And the one thing I will say, my, my rules are pretty much the same. Not much has changed with our rules. Uh, and we keep talking about, and I'm sure Nick's jumping at the bit here, but the, the culture, right? The, just figuring out what's important and what my, what my philosophy is, is what helps keep, those, keep things consistent for the players. At least they understand what the expectations are because, once again, my, 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 my philosophy is team first mentality, right? The team comes first. There's no one bigger than the team. There's no one skipping practices playing in games on this team. <laughs> no one. No one's that good. And if you are, you shouldn't be here. But no one skips practices and plays in games. And, you know, once again, I, I've, I've learned even within that culture, there's, there's subgroups, right? Because the younger players, your, your focus is growth and development. The veterans, it's about responsibility and taking on more responsibility for the team, whether it be on the field, off the field and mentoring a little more. So even within that, their roles are different within that create that culture, you know? So, and it's worked for, in my opinion, so far, you know? No, I, I, what, all my questions were going to revolve around culture and you're asking them, you're answering them all without me having to ask, which is both great and troublesome because now I've got nothing to ask. But um, <laughs> how do you deal with, you know, if someone doesn't buy into that culture, if, they believe that they're better than they are or that they don't need to show up for training or that, and you know, there are players that would make us better and don't have to turn up, turn up on a Thursday. If, if Lionel Messi shows up and says, I'm not coming on Thursday, but I can, we can win seven nil. Right. Part of you clearly wants Lionel Messi. Right. But how yeah. do you, what's the internal, I'm, what's the internal dialogue and what's the external dialogue about rationalizing that, that he can't play. Yeah. If Lionel wants to come, he's welcome. Um, I don't think John would let me shoo him away. I think our ticket sales would change a little bit. <laughs> but, but the realism is, is if there's players that just, you know, once a lot of guys, you got to understand, they've been playing in men's leagues. And once again, there's no training. Like that's the, that's the big difference is, is when they come, they're getting training, proper training, twice a week, high-level training. Okay, so, and it's going to prepare them for either going on to the next level or preparing them, some of them it used to be for the college season. Right. So that's our big thing that we're offering. And if you don't want to do the training, that's fine. You can leave. We, we, we have these personal discussions. And if they say they can't make it, I say, you know, we have our rule, right? If you, if you can't make a week of practice, that's absolutely fine. You don't play in the game. If you can't make a practice, you still don't play in the game that under that week, you can play the next week. So if you miss one, you might, you don't need to necessarily come to the next one because you're not going to play. You should, because it looks good. But if you continue to miss, so if you're missing two, three weeks, we usually, I make a nice little phone call and we have a talk and we say maybe next year, you know, if, if this is important to you, but at this point you've been released, you know, so it's pretty, pretty, I wouldn't even consider them super high standards, but for this level, uh, based on some of the players that we've had that played for other people in the similar leagues, when we were going through this, 
that those expectations maybe weren't there and, and they, I think they help to create a healthier culture where nobody is bigger than the team, you know? So. It's interesting. It almost sounds like you're, you're creating an ethos whereby this is a training club and the soccer game on a Saturday afternoon is the add-on almost, right? It's not, you're not, you're not joining a soccer club who have to train. You're joining a training club who can play soccer. Does that make Correct. sense? Yeah. And I don't, I don't know if John's going to be happy with it, but that's what they're, that's pretty much what they're getting into. I mean, these guys, some of these guys, if they don't play necessarily, especially a college guy or a younger guy, if early on, if they weren't playing on, on our team on, on Saturday night in Iowa, they still probably had a game, two games on Sunday in a, an adult league out here. It definitely probably wasn't the same competition level, but they can still go play somewhere. There's where, you know, there's leagues all over during the week too. So, and I expect them to be playing. If you're not in my starting lineup, I expect you to be on those teams. I expect you to be playing and getting as many minutes and game opportunities as possible. You should want to, but it is the benefit of us is you're getting some pretty high level training. We're trying to get you connections to get to the next level, whether that be improve you for college or get you to a pro level or some higher level where you're paid. Um, And that's, that's how I see it. I don't know if John or, or even, but even that, even that, like you said, you tell all the guys, Hey, you should get on another team. You should be playing in a Sunday league team. So if you don't play Saturday night, you should be playing on your game Sunday. And if those guys train Tuesday, Thursday, and either didn't get to travel or didn't get to play Saturday, those guys are going to be shining on those Sunday league teams too, to all their buddies because they train twice a week. So they've worked on their fitness. They're, they're, it's just a little d- different level of discipline. And, uh, and this is one thing that I heard. Uh, another club used to have some guys that, um, you know, they'd screw around, show up right at game time, and they'd start. Different club wasn't with us. And it was a culture killer because it proved that you didn't have to show up to practices. It was all about the winning. It was all about any of that. And to this day, the coach apologizes every time we lose a game. He comes up to me and says, man, I'm sorry. And I said, you don't have to. We had a good experience. The fans came. He's never apologized Nick, to me. No, never <laughs> once. Nick, Nick, Nick got to drive out and do the PA, and everybody loved it. The experience, is, is, this experience was successful. And it's not about winning. Now, I want a damn trophy, but it's not about winning. The club is not a club to win. If we were going to win, we would skip training. We would get the best players we can, and we would take anybody we can get to show up on a Saturday night. That's clearly not what we're doing. And it, we know, as an organization, and, and Coach and I have talked about this 100 times, if, if your 11 worst players out of your 30 show up to both trainings and you want to start them, then do it. It's fine. Full support. Because those other guys are going to buy into it, and the guys that showed up to work hard Tuesday and Thursday are going to be rewarded and they're going to show up the next Tuesday and they're going to show up the next Thursday. And when you go out and watch a training session, everybody's there. If he's got a 35 man roster, there's 32 guys there. Somebody's sick. Somebody had to work. Somebody hurt their ankle, but you got a full squad. And that's because of that culture that he has set that I, I don't care who you are, where you're from. And we say it at at the end of every tryout too, right? I've I've said that. If you're here and you're not prepared to drive to Milwaukee or to Iowa, sit on the bench and maybe play five minutes, if you're not prepared to 
that level, then this isn't for you. This is a club for growth and development and you have to show up, you have to work hard. Maybe you got five minutes in Iowa this Saturday, but maybe, maybe it was a good five minutes and then two more days of training and guess what? Now you're getting 30 minutes next week at home. And that's what coach does a great job of is rewarding the guys that put forth the effort. And it doesn't have to be, I scored three goals. Go in and do what he told you. Take orders, listen, improve. And those are the guys that I hope we keep for three, four, five, ten years. I mean, there's no reason guys can't play here for a decade. And the one thing I will add to that is when, as we start to finally build these connections, which are gradually coming, you know, slowly coming in with like Chattanooga, and I've had the conversations with them, I don't, I, when we send a player on trial, and they ask, you know, hey, who's, who's, do you have a good right back? Do you have a good, you know, uh, cam, a good uh, central tacky mid? Do you have a winger that we could look at? Um, I don't want to be sending guys that are going to go over there that I don't have confidence will, will represent us correctly. Because if we send somebody to a, a, a next level team and the guy starts skipping training or he doesn't make the flight or he's got a bad attitude, they're never coming back to us. They're never coming back to DeKalb County United or me to ask for players. So we want to create good players that when they go to the next level, one, they're successful, and two, they represent us the right way so that they continue to want to come back and ask for players from us. So we are a good feeder pool and developmental pool for, for professional teams. So. All right, welcome back to part two. Coach and John are still with us. Coach, approximately – and it is obviously is a very ballpark figure. How many hours a week do you think you are DeKalb County United flavored these days for you? Uh, I wish I could say like every week it's the same amount. Well, yeah. But like in during, during, the, during the season, during a season. So during a season, you know, I wish I could put an actual hour on it. <laughs> Each day, I would say I, every day I'm spending at least two to three hours. Some days more than others. If it's a loss, it could be a lot, a lot of hours. A lot mm -hmm. of hours. See, he takes them personal. I told you. I was, I was just gonna, yeah, just off the back of it. Like, are you, are you, you're a brooding man? You're a brooding manager. You like take it as I should have done this and we could have done that, even if it's a four nil gubbing. It will always be. I just feel like it's always my fault. I, I don't think there's any way a coach, because the bottom line is, I just feel like a lot of the decisions fall on the coach. Um. So, yeah, I have no problem. I, I'll take that pressure off everyone. It, the, the losses are the coach. Right. I, I just strongly believe that. It's your job to find the players. It's your job to figure the tactics and how, how the other team's playing, how you're playing. It's, it's on the coach. I, that's how I feel. Would you, would you rather win 5-3 or 1-0? Oh, it's a good question. Depends on the team we're playing. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Cup final. The Illinois State Cup final. 1-0. Just more exciting. I think we all can agree. All right. Fair enough. All right. Cool. Um, off the pitch, how involved are you with other club affairs? Um, so I'm part of the advisory committee. I used to be involved a little bit with the, with the board stuff, but – I think it was nice when they decided let's just remove the coach from that. And I'm part of the advisory committee, which I probably talk too much, but I, I try to be involved as much as, uh, as the club and the board want me to be involved. 
if that makes sense. That means you can ask him to do more, John, I think. No, 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 he's right. No, but that's, but that's part of, I mean, really, really the separation, um, the, the advisory board is, is the, the doers, right? Like that group of people is the ones that makes the events happen, will make the games happen, make the marketing happen, make the soccer happen. And of course, coaches involved because of that. Um, and I think that also adds to the diversity of that group of people that we have um, a, a decent, you know, we've got eight to 12 people on those monthly calls that we have. We've got coach from the technical side. We've got one of our players that's been joining us to get the player's perspective because you can't just be all of us on the outside saying, this is what should be done. This is how we should do it. We need to get the input of, of those um, those people that are sort of in the trenches on game day for us that what we're doing behind the scenes and in support is, is supporting them instead of hindering them in some way or whatever. So yeah, having coach involved with that stuff is great. And, and, um, and then the other thing that coach does um, is Morgan, who we've talked to before Morgan and him and I, and, and then we'll get the other coaches involved as we get a little closer to the season. But uh, we think, and we go through the sort of big picture soccer side of it. You know, should we have tryouts? When should we have tryouts? Let's get the facility lined up. Can we do this? Can, should we do, should we do this thing? Should we do this thing? All the soccer side of the stuff. And that's something that I think we've, with this COVID season, we've sort of broken up our advisory board into those smaller committees and those groups where now really coach, coach and Morgan and I can run with that particular phase. So we don't get inundated. And I personally, even if coach wants to do more, I want him to just be able to focus on what he does. You've already heard him talk about the hours of recruiting. And, and I know he's always trying to connect with new players. And he does all that stuff on his own, you know, that because he, he takes pride in his job here. So I don't think it's fair to ask him to do more at this point. He, he, he does above and beyond. And he, I, I know he's 100% committed. So it's kind of like, like with all the volunteers, let's get the most we can out of people, but not so much that they grow to hate us or hate the club, or we don't want to create stress. This is a fun experience. I want, I want coach to be at a point, Nick, you can stress all you want with the stuff I throw at you, but coach, I want him to be cool, calm, relaxed, prepared for his training sessions, prepared for his tryouts. And he always is. And that's why I don't, I don't think I'd ask him to do any more you know, day to day than, than what he's doing. I think he's, he's hit the nail on the head. And I, I, I think, I think we've got a good open dialogue of communication between the advisory board, uh, myself and the board, the coaching staff. I think there's, there's always room for improvement, but I think it's pretty good. Would you agree with that coach? Yeah. Yeah. I think the balance is good. I think one of the most important things that we learned, especially as an organization is everybody kind of needs to, respect everyone's role and, and stay, <laughs> stay in your lane. That was like something we said a while back that I'm a coach. Like my big thing is I'm, I'm the X's and O's guys. That's my strength. If, if I'm needed in other ways, especially during, like I noticed I'm more involved with off the field stuff since COVID hit. Um, but when the season starts, I, I appreciate John and everybody on the board for just allowing me to focus on the X's and O's at that time. Um, but when we're out of the season, then we start talking about other bigger picture things and, and they ask for my insight and I, I give it. But 
that's their job. That's not really my job. I'll give insight from my point of view, from a, from a coaching point of view, but yeah, usually I'm, I'm the coach X and O guy, but when I'm needed, I'll, I'll, I'll help out. And I've enjoyed the advisory role. You do other stuff though, right? It's not just the coaching of the players and the working behind the scenes. There's a whole load of, I say a whole load, there's community outreach stuff that you're involved in as well. Do you want to talk briefly about that? So the main community outreach stuff, once again, it's, it's put together by the board and, and, and we've talked about adding a lot more to that coming in sooner and later once this, once COVID's kind of slowing down or over, hopefully. Uh, so the big things are probably our clinics that we, we run currently. Um, I usually try to help as much as I can with, with the futsal tournaments and the um, uh, street soccer stuff. And, and believe it or not, uh, our, my, the assistant, um, uh, Zach Ludwig, he, he does even more than I do with that stuff, thankfully. And that's his bread. And he's really good at that stuff. So, but I try to be involved in that stuff as much as possible. And we've been talking about, and then, you know, we'll talk about this more later, like one of the questions you have for, I think I'll talk about this down the road, but uh, being, getting more, like I'd like to do, <laughs> maybe carefully here, I don't want to speak out of turn, but more free opportunities for the players to connect with the youth in the community by having quick little satellite camps uh, and, and maybe either modifying a training session or canceling a training session and allowing us to bring people in or, a sh or a small fee. Maybe that goes towards a donation. I don't know, but trying to get more stuff like that involved in the community and, in in, 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 in getting the players involved. I'd say that's the one big thing that we, I need to improve on as a coach and down the road that that should be one of the big factors when they hire a new coach is, finding a way to get more involved in the way that the board does approach everything, I think does a good job of that. But me personally and the players, we need to be, have opportunities that fit our strengths and, and be involved in the, the community that way. So. That's the, that's the, you know, the point of this podcast and, and the conversations we have with so many people is finding ways to engage community, whether it's fans, youth, response all of it it's it's being relevant in your community where people recognize your club they know something about it and they care enough about it to show up on saturdays and support you know when the games actually happen and and i think that's something that that you and morgan and i've talked about is the you know and we've actually sketched out some of those some of those uh you know dates on the calendar for next year that yeah we bring invite the youth out invite 20 kids to come for free and train with the first team and let them watch, let them participate in some of the activities, let them, let them be around the guys and then maybe get them to come out Saturday and watch a game. And I think those are things that, again, we've learned through year one, year two, year three, year four. Um, those are things that we haven't tried that they're on the, they're on the list to try now because we haven't got to it yet. And I think those are um, creating heroes for the kids of our community in our players, I think is a wonderful thing. And we've seen small sample sizes of that where um, people have said, hey, I really loved this particular player. What happened to him? And we need to do a better job of connecting our players with those people, as you said. And I think, I think some of those plans are at least, um, at least there. We just have to see if we can safely execute in 21 or if we need to table some of those for 22. But, but that's uh, 
always an evolving process of how to communicate and, and connect better with the community. Coach, three years in, what was, what's been the biggest surprise for you, would you say? Well, COVID. Um, <laughs> soccer surprise. Soccer surprise. Um, trying to think what threats. So probably the biggest one, I don't know if it's a surprise as much as a, a disappointment, but um, initially when I first came in here, one, one of my big, one of my big draws was one of the big things that just was a huge motivational to me. And even some of the players over the years that, the last few seasons that played or a couple uh, was the U S open cup and having the opportunity to play in that was always such a draw to like play against, you know, a USL or an MLS team was always a big kind of like, you know, thing that I was yeah. looking forward to. And when that wasn't available, um, when that was kind of taken off the list, just because of cost and, and other reasons that I'll let John kind of talk about here in a second, but uh, that was probably the biggest like, disappointment I guess surprise would be um like I when we first started this the very beginning and, and we were putting 500 people in the stands and and we were you know able to scrimmage NIU and uh you know the fact that this is going the way it is and growing and how many people are involved in, like see our like Twitter and Facebook and, and my job or just people contacting I'm surprised how big this has gotten considering it's not like the players are getting paid, you know, this is just, it's like a training opportunity and it's much bit. And this is what I wanted to be part of was just something I've always wanted to be something bigger than myself. You know what I mean? Just, I think everybody wants to be involved with something bigger than themselves and, and have a positive role in it and just help it along. And you know, what, right off the bat, it took off a lot, very, very well and uh, was well received and, and Everybody's been very positive through the whole experience on and off the field. And, uh, yeah, I'd say it was the biggest surprise, I guess, from a positive standpoint. But the, the U.S. Open Cup was the one that really probably when, – when, re when I realized we weren't doing that anymore, it really kind of, woof, <laughs> changed my, the way I think. You've broken his heart, John. Broken his little heart. Well, I, hey, I've, Coach, I've challenged you to this. We can play in the Open Cup, win the State Cup – Win the National Amateur Cup, <laughs> and the next year we're in the Open Cup, baby. Okay. Just keep stacking trophies. But don't forget the culture, and don't just take the best players <laughs> and do all of that. Well, that I mean, but you, you, you hit it on the head, though, Coach. It's the, it's, it looks like a wonderful thing to be a part of and to do the qualifying rounds and da-da-da-da-da. The challenge we have as an organization and others like us have is – you could go talk to 500 people in the stands and about 27 of them know what the U S open cup is. They're not there for that. They don't know what league we play in. They don't know other than union Dubuque, who we pick on our old buddies to the West. They don't know the other teams in the league. We have a lot of consumer education to do. And if you want to draw the open cup as a like, wow, this is a big coup for the club. It could be, if they straightened it out and we got to host that USL club that by the way, most people in this, in this County and in America have never heard of such and such USL club. So it isn't even a big draw. If we could get Chicago fire to play at NIU against DeKalb County United, 
Now we've just, we've just done a, we've just done a massive thing for our budget and it makes sense to compete, but the way the tournament's currently structured, and this is a pod in itself, we could be traveling all over the country to not even get in the tournament proper just to go through the qualifying rounds. And it just, it doesn't add up to the long-term sustainability that we're, we're still working so hard for. So I, I totally agree with you. I think a, a thing like the Illinois state cup, I think we can celebrate that just as much. And I think that would mean more to our, our community because they know what the Illinois state cup champion is. That's obviously it's the Illinois state cup. U.S. Open Cup, what the heck is that? And I think that's that's one of the things in you know our in our fifty year plan, which I have not written yet, by the way. That sure would be great to compete in the Open Cup. I, I still think it would be, but when the resources are there to do it without jeopardizing existence, and that's what we're very far from at this point. How was With that, that in mind, then, what's success for you, Coach? in next what well, next season and in five years time and by the time you hang up your cap three success points <laughs> so kind of like goal setting now sure yeah publicly which we can hold so, you to i've said this from the beginning if, if i'm going to now that i have and i think people that are parents can relate to this if i'm going to take time away from my daughter who i love to be around I, I better be doing something that number one, first and foremost, has to be enjoyable and fun. So if I ain't have, if I'm not having fun doing this, I'm I'm done. I won't continue to coach because that should be the focus, like the major one of the major factors I should say in why I do this is I really, really, really enjoy this. I don't I don't drink. I don't do a lot of you know. I don't get involved in a lot of things. I'm not a big partier. For me. If I want to have, if I want to be happy or have a good time, I go coach soccer. I enjoy playing, but I enjoy coaching more nowadays. It's just, it's my, it's my big enjoyment. It's my one time where I get to do something that is a little selfish. It's a little for myself. So if I'm going to do that and I'm going to take time away from my daughter by everyone, the the next goals are uh, just continue to develop players and try to get, find opportunities for players to play at a higher level. Cause I just feel like it's a, it's it's something in America. If, if we once again another podcast, right, where players might be going through the cracks. Players aren't giving opportunities to play at at a higher level and represent their communities at a higher level. So I think we offer that, and then giving a guy a chance to maybe play a couple extra years and get paid to play. I mean, what what else could be better, right? So extending people's careers. Um, helping people meet those those goals if that's what their goal is if their goal is just to be part of their community and represent their community in soccer which we have a lot of those players now and then more and more it might eventually that's all our club is eventually is it's people from our community playing for our community that that's ultimately what the goal will be when you play the Cal county united everybody is from the Cal county is that a possibility currently no <laughs> but maybe down the road. And then if every community around us, if every county around us had their own teams, and then you could literally have this competition. That's how it is in Europe. You know, I don't, I don't think I need to tell you, Nick, but most communities have a team and they compete against other teams and everybody goes and watches that. They don't go to Friday night football in England. That's not what it is. Their Friday night football is a Sunday men's league. And it's all the dads and the uncles and the, 
cousins and the brothers and they have their team and they compete against another community. And that's a big deal. And that's where everybody goes and they, they drink and eat, eat sausages and different foods and stuff and make their own thing from their community. And they compete against each other. So I would like to see that kind of develop here over time. I, once again, I'll probably be done coaching before all that happens, but um, <clears throat> I plan on being involved with this club as, as long as I'm allowed to be involved, not necessarily as a coach. You know what I mean? But I think that's the end goal. Um, and then, like John said, winning trophies, immediate future. Uh, first time we get to hit the pitch, we need to start winning trophies. So we have not won any trophies, which is absolutely frustrating and needs to change and has to be one of the main focuses is bringing home some hardware. Uh, if I had to add one more, it would definitely be more community involvement, getting the players attached to the community more, um, and building more relationships within the community. So that's a full and frank answer. Um, um, yeah, I, I echo it all, and I'm sure John does too. You're, you were talking about staying with the club once you're done. Assuming that we part the ways amicably, right? Yeah, and you're on the the committee, the panel appointing the next coach. What's one question you would ask them that you, you weren't asked? The one question. No, no, no. You don't have to answer that. We didn't ask you questions. You asked us questions. <laughs> you said, I talked to the UPSL and they confused me about this. How does this work? And we go, I don't know. You're the co We don't know. <laughs> we don't even know who we are yet. So there, there wasn't anything that we didn't ask. We didn't ask him a single thing. All right, what's the first question you ask this, this prospective coach then? Coach? <laughs> um, I would say the first one, just it's keep it simple. And it's just, what would your vision be for the, the club or the team? You know, how would you, how would you, what do you see for the, the organization moving forward? What's their big kind of, why would they want to be here? What, what motivates them to come do this, be part of this step in their career, you know? And your 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 answer to that would be community and player development, right? Correct. I love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Yeah, and, and it's it's perfect too. And, and it's you know it's we're very fortunate not to not to puff him up any, but we're very fortunate. Like this isn't this isn't a career changing appointment, right? I mean, coach came in, he gets a couple of bucks. It doesn't probably even cover gas he's enjoying himself it sounds like but ultimately this isn't a this isn't a life-altering thing it allowed him to try a different level of soccer that really nobody around here other than a hand you know really nobody had kind of done this before it's kind of brand new to everybody nobody knows what to expect and for us to have a guy come in and be as dedicated as he has been and He's always thinking about what, well, okay, next year we're going to do this. And then the next year, this, I learned this year, we're going to do this next year. I'm so relieved, quite honestly, that we don't have to go try to find a new coach every year and try like, I, especially in the early going with an organization, the culture of attending practices that by itself has really set the tone for things. And I think, I think you would advise every other coach to like, be firm about some of those things as well, because it's huge. But having a guy, as what I'm, what I'm rambling to say here is to have a guy with us for the first two, three, four, five years, whatever it ends up being, 
where we have that consistency with our coach. I think from a quote unquote front office standpoint, we know what we're getting and he'll do anything we ask. And, and I think as a board member looking at potential coaches, those are the things that come to mind. I don't care about a three, five, one of four, four, two. I don't, I don't care about any of it. And coach had, we didn't even talk about it. Coach has full control of the roster who starts, who plays. If Leo Messi shows up, obviously we'll have a conversation, but it'll be his decision. And, and I think that's a great way to separate. If you're taking your club seriously, separate the soccer from the business because it's, he needs to be in his lane and do his things. And yeah, we talk and I might give him an idea and then he might give me an idea and say, Hey, why don't we do this and give away some tickets to this group? And we can, we can, you know, we can talk, but he does his job. We do our job. And I think it's, I think it's been very, very good. And I'm very happy that he's, you know, still with us and going to be with us for however long he's with us. And, uh, as we still build toward development and community and trophies. Fingers crossed. No, I think from, from the outside, as much as I am, it seems like a perfect marriage of club and coach. Um, and I blame you two for that more than anyone else, right? The club is built in the mold, in the ethos of you two, you two are the driving forces. So um, from the outside, thank you very much for that. Um, coach, do you have any questions for John that we can record and share with the world forever? Well, let's let's throw this the last question you had at him a little bit here. What would be something you're looking for from the next coach? Um, you know, that's the inter- I thought about that while you were talking. I was thinking about that, going, boy, oh boy. Um, I think one thing, I think one important thing um, is is finding a balance. Like, you want somebody that the players, somebody that's run a program like you had. You want somebody that knows how to manage a program and, and is willing to sacrifice short-term for long-term. And you, you've proven that with, you're not playing today. Sorry, you missed you miss training Thursday. You didn't call me. You're not playing Saturday. I know, you're, I know that's going to hurt our team, but you're going to be more committed the rest of the season. And I think that's the one thing that I never – there's a lot of things that we did with this club that I never thought about before it happened. But hindsight being – that's one of the are if a coach comes in as willing to sacrifice short term for that long term then i think that's going to put him in a position to gain a lot of respect and i don't think i'm like you coach i don't know how long i'm going to be involved with the club but i i'm never going to put um winning above the community and and not only that but building the responsible we're dealing with mostly young adults, right? High teens, twenties, some are a little older into their thirties or whatever, and that's fine, but we want to develop good people and good community members. And, and that doesn't happen by just letting people do anything they want. There needs to be some structure. And I would make sure that the next coach brought that, that same, it could be different, but similar understanding of, you know, this is bigger than all of us. It's bigger than all of us combined if we do it right. So, Nick, can I go off script one time? Yeah, of course. Okay. So, from a big picture, like really big, kind of an opinionated conspiracy theory, whatever you want to call it. But, like, from my point of view, when I look back at, like, 1994, right, and I see how a World Cup in the United States affected, like, how the 
how the development of MLS came, right? And then I look at 2026 when World Cup potentially could be coming back here in Mexico and Canada, right? And I see that as maybe the next big jump for U.S. soccer. Um, and so, or just, so, let me rephrase that, soccer in the United States. And we're a big country. And out of, for the size of our country, not to be winning any World Cups and to – we're finally producing some really good talent recently. And, and that's not fair. Women's have been dominant for a long time now, for a while, but men specifically, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm talking about right now. Women's have been super successful and, and we should all learn a lot from them. Um, but from the men's game and, and like you look at the rest of the world, there's still a lot of growth to happen here. And, and it has been growing. I mean, the sport has grown a lot. Just even watching on TV when I was a kid, you couldn't watch a soccer game. Now I can turn on a, TV almost at any time on cable and find a game. You know what I mean? So I just feel like as we go through here, I hope this is like maybe a little selfish once again, my mark on soccer's history a little bit. You know, I have a mark in, in every, in a lot of levels, but I would like to see, like I said, I'd like to see soccer in, in communities a little more. Like every community has their own team. Like they have a foot, like a high school football team, but I'd like to. And I already talked about this, but I think soccer has some room to grow at the lower levels, and it, it's definitely doing it its own way with its own tiering system. And, and once again, different podcast. But how big could DKCU be one day? And is it about being big, or is it just about being the right size to fit your community and give people a place to play competitively as they get older? And they still have that itch, you know, and I think we provide that. And I think as other communities continue to see our success, they'll start their own. Like they said, there's a, there's the teams in a couple teams, Chicago. Now they're joining our league. We got Joe, we had team Joliet team in Bloomington. Rockford's got a team now. Elgin's trying to start a team. Elgin used to have a team. Aurora used to have a team. As communities continue to add and there's, you know, hopefully a couple of years from now, 20, 30, 40 teams from Illinois. I was, I wanted to be, that was cool that I got to be part of that from the beginning, you know, and whatever my role is after that, at least I got to be coaching and part of this from the get go. And I tried to make it the best it could be in my little world, you know? Um, so, so I don't know if you see it, but I just think 2026 will be a huge jumping stone and that's still a while away. I think there's a lot of growth that's going to happen for him, but I think there's gonna be a big jump. And I think what we're doing here, we'll be ahead of the game a little bit and, and hopefully a good leader in the market of how this could work within every community in Illinois. So We've, maybe, yeah. I'm, maybe no. I'm being optimistic. but No, it's not optimistic at all. It's absolutely the goal that John and I have set for ourselves in a bizarre sort of way, self-appointed growth makers, right? But we said on, I've certainly said on countless occasions, there's this whole thing going on in Chicago right now with NISA and they're, they're they're setting up their club and whatever. And you get people from all over the Chicago area going, oh, Chicago's getting a second club. It's great. And it's amazing. And it is. Let's not let's, you know, the more soccer, the better. But between us in DeKalb and Chicago, which is 70 odd miles, there should be seven, we should be driving past 70, 80 different clubs of varying standards. They shouldn't all be Nisa and they shouldn't all be Midwest. But there should be clubs in every single community, generating players, moving players around, so that there's almost like a caravan effect. The players go from, from DeKalb to Aurora to Elgin to Arlington Heights to Hoffman Estates to just, they keep on moving and moving and moving. 
um, that 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 growth of talent sort of is self-fulfilling because because Kenny who's 35 hangs up his boots and starts playing rec, rec with John on a Friday night means that there's a space at left back and five people apply for that position in inverted commas from around surrounding neighborhoods whereas now if our left back retires we have to go out and actively hunt for them yep. and as soon as you have those clubs with their own ethos and their own fan base because soccer in America needs the players but it needs the fans as well there's the hardcore I was reading something today, right? Like, if only 10% of America cares about soccer, that's still whatever it is, 33 million or something. But they're not hardcore. There's a couple of million hardcore fans. We need a couple of thousand hardcore fans in DeKalb. We need a couple of thousand in Aurora, in Elgin, in Bloomington, in, I don't know, Peru. It really doesn't matter. But as soon as you get that, and those communities are self-fulfilling, and they're coming to the game, rain or shine, and they're cheering on, and they are creating rivalries with other communities, that's when soccer's established itself. Not when it's this lovely middle-class pay-as-you-play communal event. It, should, it shouldn't be deck chairs. It shouldn't be lawn chairs. It shouldn't be barbecuing in the, in the parking lot. It can be. That's fine. But that's not the 90 minutes. That's not what gets you around in 10 years' time at all. Rant over. But no, you're right on. We've talked about this a lot, Coach. Nick and I have – that's why we put the new club packet out to try to help help people that go, man, I wish I could start a club. It gives them a toolbox to at least kick the tires on it and look at some of the details that go into it. And some of the, some of the technical data, some of the documents you need to create, some of the steps you need to go through and really decide, you know, if, if John and DeKalb is either right guy to, to start this club, man, I don't know. I got this packet, but I just don't know. I don't know that I can go into all of this. Well, maybe, maybe in three years I find three buddies and I go pull that packet out and I look at it and go, hey, I think we're ready now. And I, that's, that's part of the reason we did that. Um, obviously, it's a nice little fundraiser for our club, which is wonderful. But I, we, Nick and I share that. And, and I've said, I think on this podcast several times, what happened even in the five and 10 years before we started with Chattanooga and Detroit and um so many other i mean aurora borealis starting i'd have never even known about this level of soccer without aurora borealis and i'll always credit them for that but that's exactly it i think we've started the ball rolling initially clubs come and go well now the clubs that are around for three five seven eight ten years chattanooga has been around 10 and they go raise a million dollars detroit city same kind of thing they found ways to connect with their community so now any other business it's a copycat thing here all we got to do is find what worked and apply those to our level with our budgets and see if we can now duplicate that in bloomington and in rockford and in dubuque and in everywhere all these other places and find part of the reason i work with the midwest premier league is because i want to make sure i'm advocating and and everybody does we want the cost low if the barrier of entry from sunday league to go to the midwest premier league is 50 grand that's a big barrier if we can say, hey, for an extra 10,000 bucks a year, you can get to this next level, you know, 10,000 in operating costs, not fees, but operating costs to get to these standards. Well, yeah, we're building a foundation that's pretty, pretty super. And, and now more clubs can make the jump. Schwaben will make the jump. And uh, Kickers and Aurora will make the jump to a first team or maybe men's and women's. And I totally agree with you. We're at the ground floor. And I think there's a lot of people that are working together to help each other. And I think that needs to continue. 
And I think 20 years time, 30 years time, we're going to look back and go, wow, we were one of the first ones. And you see it everywhere. You just, you, you can feel it. All it takes is one crazy person like me or like Chris in Tallahassee or like Cliff in Dubuque that's willing to just give it a shot. And the, the, the recipe's out there now for success if you're willing to follow it. And I agree with you. And I'm, I'm certainly excited and I feel very prideful to have, you know, in our little corner of the world to have been a, a, a small part of what we're doing and setting the tone for so many others around the country, really. And to close off the circle, Coach, what you said, and this is purely personal, John doesn't need to echo this at all. I don't want to be the best club in in the country or the big, biggest club in Illinois or the winningest club in Midwest Premier League history. I want us to be the best thing, the biggest thing in DeKalb County. That's success to me. The soccer thing will take care of itself. We can't dictate that, but we can dictate being the must-be event in DeKalb. If we do that, if we're, get, if we're getting bums on seats week in, week out, we're here. We've established whatever the sport. It doesn't matter whether it's soccer or ultimate frisbee or competitive knitting. If we can get people to pay money and come and watch, that's it. We've arrived. Any last thoughts, Coach or John? Yeah, I'll go quick if you don't mind, John. Yeah. Uh, I just want to say that I think one of the biggest reasons for the success of this, when I, when I think about other clubs without being involved in their clubs or what keeps me coming back as well, the, the, the volunteer – the fact that everybody is volunteering, not me, but everyone else that volunteers and the amount of work they do for free and the, 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 the energy or the attitude, the positive attitudes that you all have towards this to help these young adults out um, and, and not just young, but these men out um, is gre- greatly appreciated. And, and that is what makes this so successful. Without, without the volunteers, None of this exists. Same thing with the fans. Without the fans, this truly doesn't exist. I think you can agree with that as well. But the fans and the volunteers make all this happen, you know. So I just think they don't get recognized enough, and they should. I love my players, and I, th- I hope they know that. But the, the fans and the volunteers, like I said, the advisory committee and just going on those calls, it's like a second little family for me sometimes, you know. <laughs> Like I'll, I'll always remember these, these, these conversations and moments. It's been one of the most positive um, things I've had in my life. Oh, bless you, Coach. Gentlemen, we are coming to the time of our Zoom. John, I know you've got a hard stop, so I'm going to call it quits here. Coach, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. We will Thanks, definitely try and get you, we'll get you back on another time. John Hall, thank you as ever. Thank you for listening. Thanks. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with something new. Till then, goodbye. Goodbye. But so sad we gotta run Well it might be a long time Till we raise another glass You can rest assured that next time We'll have ourselves a laugh Yeah we'll have ourselves a laugh Away.